0: Hi, hey, hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of The Educated Fan. We went live on a fun little show called UK Colts Fans, a podcast um, and YouTube show. Um, They invited us to come on, so me and Andrew went and chatted with uh, one of those guys, and we've got it right here for you. Hope you enjoy it.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it will be nice to get back into full-on football, seeing as our, you know, it's been a bit of a shitty year with everything that's going on around the world. Um, I'm sure we're, we're all just dying to see our team back on the field. Um, we will get into that. I want to start, gents. Um, you know, one question I like to start with, uh, with Colts fans, especially on the show, is how you found the Indianapolis Colts? For me, it was Madden. Uh, I played the game in 07. Um, the Colts from there with the Packers, it was only a demo, uh, so rightfully so I chose the Colts and thankfully (laughs) I chose the Colts. Uh, Brandon, how did you find the Colts? Uh,
0: well, obviously being from Indiana, it's not too hard, but, uh, my mom and dad were big Colts fans, mostly my mom. Uh, so that was something her and I always bonded over, uh, when I was growing up, she's, uh, her favorite player ever is probably Reggie Wayne. Um. She kind of always, I don't want to say shit on Peyton Manning, but uh, always kind of gave him crap because, you know, he always got all the glory while also always getting uh, all the bashing, you know, if we didn't do well. Um, but then when we shipped him off to, to Denver, uh, mm-hmm. she, that that upset her. So she became a real big Peyton Manning fan too then. Um, but, yeah, my mom,
2: probably my mom.
1: Yeah. Andre?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so I I started following the Colts in, in third grade. It was actually my my teacher at the time was a huge Colts fan, and and we we talk a lot about the Colts. And he actually and we got I got me interested in watching the watching the game. So from there, I kind of learned the game and, and became became a huge fan. And it's just kind of gone steadfast in there I don't know when the last I think it's been probably since since third grade the last time I missed a Colts game and and now now I'm a season ticket holder and and they're at every game and try to go to at least one away game a year if I can to see so that way I can get to all the different stadiums all throughout the league so um yeah credit my my third and fourth grade teacher for for getting me hooked as a Colts fan
1: Excellent. There's that is, that is a massive shout out for him, to be honest, of uh, <laughs> appearing on this show. But anyway, um, the off-season, gents, uh, it was... Well, let's start with the end of the last season. Heartbreak in Buffalo. You know, we threw everything onto that pitch. It just... The ball didn't bounce our way that night. Shit happens. Um, after the raw emotions sort of settled and it was, you know, uh, the season was over... How did you both assess Frank Reich and the Colts that season? Go ahead, Andrew. So, I mean,
2: I, I, I think I had a better. I think when when we talk, Brandon and I, I'm. I'm a little more lenient on Frank Reich than, than Brandon and as far as play calling aspect of it. I don't think Frank Reich was the reason we lost that game at Buffalo. I, I think it was – I thought we beat ourselves. There were just too many times where, where the Colts had put themselves in position to really succeed and take over that game, and then they couldn't execute, whether it was on that fourth down call where Phillip Rivers was dropping back and, and he threw it just a little bit too far out of michael pittman's grasp whether it was the offsides from kamoko to the missed field goal from from rodrigo blankenship all these things just kind of add up and and when you're not executing against one of the best teams in the league it's it's going to bite you and that's what happened to the colts and and i think it was it was more discipline i thought the colts had had the talent to be with buffalo but the better team that executed that day ended up winning the game so and, and i think that's where the colts might need to take that next step this year is better execution and and being able to to deliver in those big moments.
1: Uh, just before you go, Brandon, mm-hmm. quick comment here from Col- Colts loyalist. Nice to see you back in the show, pal. I am on execution or lack of for sure. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I have called out Frank Reich. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, people who watch this show regularly. No, I'm not even Matt Edelfoos' biggest fan. We know what we're getting with Frank Reich. It's going to be pure gambling. You know, he's the riverboat gambler for a reason. Was it, in your opinion, Brandon, was it the play calling or was it the execution? What cost the Colts? Uh,
0: That day, overall execution. uh, Mm -hmm. We had a chance to win the football game. Um, I think there were a couple opportunities where, you know, Frank Reich's play calling in key moments wasn't, necessarily uh, what I agreed with at the time. But overall, Frank Reich himself, I'm a huge fan of. Um, I mean, we can sit here and pick out and be nitty-gritty about any, you know, any coach, any play call um, throughout the season. But I I always have a tough reaction right away, too. I kind of let my emotions get the better of me um, before I really sit back and think about things. But that day what was so frustrating is we did have a chance to win. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, looking back at the season – I didn't think necessarily we were going to be in that position in the first place. So looking back, I'm glad that we made it to where we were um, shocked to hear that you're not a big Matt Eberflus fan. Um, we're big mad at Eberflus fans. fans. Uh, I, I think, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, it was, it was a tough loss, um, but it, because I thought we had a chance to win because going into the game, I did not. So they gave me, you know, they got my hopes up and kind of crushed them there at the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll explain why I'm not a big Matty Buffy mm-hmm. fan. You know, I, I love him as a coach, as a trainer, a nice guy. You know, I love his personality around the camp. Mm-hmm. But for me, he has no plan B. It's, you know, sort of a a bastardized hi, a hybrid Tampa 2 scheme, what he runs off. Mm-hmm. And I just think when you got the dogs, absolute dogs that we have on defense and, you know, Grover Stewart had a great year, but the um, DeForest Butner, Leonard Blackman, Willis—you know—you have these guys who can just absolutely. Kenny Moore can blitz hard. I just I was a bit agitated that he didn't go for it a bit more. You know, I, I would have if he, I would have liked to let him let the horse out of the stable. To be honest, um, not not that I'm not saying he's a rubbish coach, or you know, we definitely had some so many worse coaches than Matt Edelfluse in this, in the Colts organization. So he's definitely not down there and he will probably be a head coach after this year. So he's got to
0: be after this year.
1: Yeah. Um, But anyway, before we get onto the actual coaching staff here, I will get on to because there was a couple of changes, obviously Um, the big shock of the off season for me was Philip Rivers retiring with Philip Rivers, you know, competitiveness, I really didn't expect him to retire. Did you guys see anything different? I,
0: I didn't, I didn't expect it. I thought we had one more year, probably. I think the Colts thought they had one more year. Um, so to see that he, I mean, I'm happy for him that he hung it up on his own accord, but I was shocked by it as well. Like you said, his competitive nature. One more, you know, like I can just hear his brain taking like one more year in this offense, one more year with this team. What could be different? Um, and yeah, I thought he would be chasing after that, but I guess not.
2: I think I think originally I was shocked. When when the news came out, I mean, I texted Brandon right away saying like this puts us definitely in a predicament, and I thought for sure Phil would probably go one more year. But then after the initial shock, you go back and you look at his that press conference after Buffalo and mm-hmm. how and how he was he was holding back tears the entire time. I think right there that should have been a glimpse to us or, or or at least gave us a hint that he was seriously considering walking away. And, and I think just looking back at that, you, when you kind of, in retrospect, it shouldn't have surprised us. I, it did just that initial shock. And, and as far as playing ability, I think he could have played one more year. Uh, now, were the Colts as, would they be as dynamic going down the field passing? No, probably not. But Phillip Rivers still got the job done. I mean, he still led the Colts to an 11 and five season. And after those first five or six games, once he got his legs under him and, and got a grasp of this team, you you kind of saw just a turn of, of Phillip Rivers, a guy that, that, did take care of the ball for the most part. That, that was incredibly accurate, and and a guy that the, that the locker room absolutely fell in love with, and and so that's why I think I think the Colts would have been fine, and the Colts would have liked for Philip Rivers to to have sticked around one more year, but obviously he, he felt the same way, and, and I respect it. I mean, good for him to go out on his own terms, and and just seeing him now coaching in in Alabama, he's he's pretty
1: happy with his decision. Yeah. Um, Colts loyalist. Do you believe the struggles with the foot had anything to do with expediting his retirement? I I I'd, I'd like to say yes, but knowing how competitive you know Phillip Rivers is, I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think he's had fifty five kids now. You know he's he's got a, <laughs> he's got a high school team. Yeah. Um, he's always said you know he wanted to go and coach. He was going to do it last year. Obviously, Frank Wright made him an offer offer that he couldn't refuse. Um, But it certainly hindered the Colts last year, didn't it? Um, What were your, not thoughts, but as the season was unfolding, sort of your raw reactions to Philip Rivers? Because obviously it didn't start great, but then towards the end it seemed amazing, even though he was one-legged. Yeah, I think for me, Philip Rivers definitely exceeded my expectations
2: uh, mm-hmm. on on how he was going to prefer, perform. Because when 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 the trade was made, I wasn't overly enthusiastic. I, I the big question mark for me was. Is are we going to get the Philip Rivers of 2019, or is Frank Wright going to be able to reel and reel him in? And even and, a Philip
0: Rivers of 2018 would be
2: great. Even, yeah, even the Philip Rivers of 2018, but the Philip Rivers of 20 2019 not great. We did not want that. So. That, that was the big question mark for me. And then we said it all the time on our show. Philip Rivers didn't need to be Pro Bowl Philip Rivers for this team to have a shot. Philip Rivers just needed to play within the within the offense, be able to give it to, to Jonathan Taylor, be able to complete those passes to to T.Y. Hilton and, and Michael Pittman Jr., give it to Naheem Hines out of the backfield and let him go to work. So And I think once... Once you saw around week five or six, especially after that Browns game, because that Browns game was bad.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then the, the following week, we're down 21 to nothing to Cincinnati. And you see Phillip Rivers rally the troops and just the Colts storm back and win that game. That was the turning point for me. That was when I felt, okay, Phillip Rivers is our quarterback and we could win some games with him. Let it, it was only the Bengals, but you saw throughout the year, Phillip Rivers really take over that team. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the retirement is concerned with his foot, I don't know if we're really ever going to know that. If I think if it required surgery, then that might have persuaded him to retire. Mm-hmm. But and I definitely it definitely limited him at the towards the end of the year. But I don't think it limited him in in such a way that it was hindering the, his best qualities, such as accuracy and how he was pre snap. Um, so I, I, as far as the foot's concerned, I don't think it really hindered him, especially in that Buffalo game.
0: I was never a big Philip Rivers fan. I didn't ever think he was a bad quarterback. That was ne- that never crossed my mind. I thought he was getting old. Um, but a lot of heartbreaking losses to the Chargers um, had caused me to dislike Philip Rivers almost as much as I disliked Tom Brady. Um, but the second we... I, I just was in disbelief. I didn't think it was going to happen. I th- didn't think there was any way we would sign Philip Rivers. We signed Philip Rivers. Um And my switch flipped. I'm like, well, listen, he didn't have the offensive line that we have. He didn't have this. He didn't have that. He's going to have a great season. Um, So I jumped on the Phil Rivers bandwagon real fast because I I always have high hopes for our season every year. Um, But over the season, I grew to become a big-time Philip Rivers fan. Uh, Bought a jersey. um, Wore that to a couple of games last year. But... um, I was not a fan at first but throughout the season aside from his play which did start poorly um and progressed huge throughout the season um I I became a big Philip Rivers fan personality wise. Uh awesome guy and I really enjoy I'm glad he had that season with the Colts cuz I know he make you know he holds that near and dear to his heart as a special season.
1: Yeah. You know um it's weird because you know, new quarterback comes in, uh, Carson Wentz, not many people's first choice, uh, but what we got him for was fantastically cheap for who he is. But we find ourselves asking the same questions that we did with Philip Rivers. Is he going to have, a, you know, a last year, or is he going to play like he was in 2017? Um, you know, the O-line questions are completely... It's sort of like a déjà vu moment for Colts fans it's
0: very similar in a lot of ways and very different in a lot of ways obviously the age difference you know this is a move for a guy that we're gonna hopefully have for a long time this is um similar though in a way that you know it worked out for Philip Rivers so you 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 get you're going to have high hopes that it works out for Carson Wentz especially with a full off season uh which Rivers didn't have so hopefully a faster start as well um but Andrew and I m- middle of the season we were laughing at people that were trashing Carson Wentz I mean laughing at them I said Andrew what would you give up for Carson Wentz right now if he was on the table this is all this is middle of the season we have no idea couldn't have an idea that this would ever happen and I said well, what would you give up anything yeah anything you know what I mean? He's having a bad yeah. year. He had one bad year. Peyton had it. Big Ben had it. Um, other good quarterbacks, great quarterbacks, had that year, and then from there took off. So I'm, I'm real excited about Carson Wentz. I think he's going to flourish.
2: Yeah, I'm excited as well. But I I think one thing we do have to keep in mind as Coles fans, though, is we need to be realistic about our expectations.
0: Yeah, realistically, he could be MVP this year.
2: (laughs) I do think that he is. I I think it's going to be an adjustment period because while while the offense is is mostly the same and he can pick up on it. I mean, Philip Rivers is. You hear Frank Reich talk about it. Philip Rivers is one of the smartest quarterbacks that he's ever been around, and he was around Peyton Manning, and he puts him up there in that that tier, being a, as a cerebral quarterback. It's it's going to be there's going to be an adjustment period. So I you, you, we can't expect Carson Wentz to come out week one, week two, even week three or four, and and just light the world on fire. We And we also have to think that, while 2020 could be an outlier. 2017 could also be an outlier. So I I think best case scenario for Carson Wentz in his first year with the Colts is he ends up somewhere in between that 2018-2019 area where he was still a a top 15 quarterback in this league, borderline top 10, because the, the Colts can win with a top 10 quarterback. They can't win with a Jacoby Brissett. Mm-hmm. but they can win with a top 10 quarterback. And and I think that's going to be big for Colts fans to really just keep that in mind because there is going to be an adjustment period. And, and we can't expect him to light the world on fire just because he's back with Frank Reich. Because he's got a lot to work on. Mechanics-wise, a lot to work on. And and he's gotta fit in with those new teams. That's gonna take some time. I am excited. I think Carson Wentz can can be a Super Bowl winning quarterback with the Colts. I really do. But as far as twenty twenty-one, I'm hampering I'm kind of tampering my expectations down so that way to be realistic, where I don't think it's just gonna automatically be 2017 every year. Listen,
0: the difference between Cerebral Philip Rivers and Carson Wentz, okay, that can cause him to have a fast start is his arm. Uh, he can throw the ball down the field still. Phil oh, yeah. Rivers didn't have that. So when in doubt, if T.Y. can still turn it up, I mean, we still have that threat. Zach Paschal, Paris Campbell, hopefully. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. another year. in the, I mean, he's going to have weapons that's going to make his job a lot easier. Um, Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. Marlon Mack still in the backfield. He's he's going to – with a full off season and always the win in doubt, throw the ball down the field to T.Y., I, I disagree with you. I'm not saying I expect a huge season out of Carson Wentz, but I think it's far from uh, unrealistic.
1: I mean, I'm expecting 17 and I, you know, nothing less. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I talk about this a lot with um, – my co Xavier, but the one thing I do like to say is, what Chris Bard has done is made everyone's job on that offence a little bit easier by bringing in Carson Wentz, you know, the oil lines don't have to work as hard to protect him because he can escape, we've seen his escaping capabilities in Philly, Um, but then Carson Wentz can also rely on Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, who's back, Hines, Wilkins, all them guys, and then you know, it's sort of the question is who the defenses we're playing against cover. Do you cover T.Y. Hilton? Well, then you've left Naheem Hines open in the backfield. Um, so, going forward, guys, what's the game? Are we still run the damn ball with Quentin Nelson, uh, you know, fullback on occasion? Or are we open up the field and let T.Y. do his thing?
0: I think we better be run the damn ball. Uh, I think. I, I do like I said, I I'm I'm not saying for sure I expect Carson Wentz to have an explosive crazy season, but if he's going to to have a season that gets him back on track and whatnot, I think getting the run game going is going to be essential. He never even the year I don't think twenty seventeen, I and I don't have the stats on it, but I don't think they had a great run game that year either. Um no, they did.
2: They did in 20 in 2017 as a team, they ranked third in the year, third in the league. Well,
0: I'm making things up then, but they still didn't have the offensive line in 2018. He did everything on his own. I mean, he was willing that team to any victories they had um, up until the point he got hurt. Um, Which is why I would, I would say he was a top 10 quarterback in 2018, in my opinion. But um, yeah, I think the run game is going to be key to getting him off to a good start, especially early in the season.
2: It, it It is because the thing that got Carson Wentz in trouble a lot last year is him playing hero ball, him thinking he, that he, him just not trusting his teammates because I mean, that offensive line was in shambles. He, the wide receivers didn't do him any good coaching and scheme surely didn't do him any good Were these long developing plays and, and a lot of times he had to play hero ball. And, and you, when you watch the film, that's, there's times where he tries to get out of a sack or get out of the pocket And and try to make this crazy play when in all when in reality all he had to do was step up in the pocket or do just a little sidestep and deliver the ball down the field. So that's the thing that I think Frank Reich is going to have to balance. There's going to be a balance between letting Carson use his athletic ability, which is incredible. It's it's Andrew Luck type athletic ability. Use that athletic ability, but but not so much where you're playing hero ball all the time and putting the team in trouble. So that's that's going to be the big thing, is, is that balance. And, and I do think that the Colts are really going to rely on Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, Marlon Mack, really get that into a rhythm. They're going to rely on the RPO game. We're going to see a lot of RPOs, more like how it was in the beginning of 2018 with the Colts when you get Andrew Luck back, Frank Reich is working on him to get the ball out quicker and get it to where it needs to go. So the less pressure we can put on Carson Wentz here this year, the better the Colts are going to be. Yeah. I,
1: yeah. The Eagles running team was a Jay in Blunt. Um, that's correct. I remember. One-two punch, but just, that's nothing on what the Colts have up for a running game at the minute, you know, if you include the whole package. Um, we'll we'll break onto that a little bit later, but I want to fast forward a little bit into the offseason now. Um, um obviously, you know, we get Xavier Royce back, which is massive. I didn't expect him to come back. I thought he was worth a lot more than probably what he got. But then the big movement for Colts fans, you know, it was trending everywhere, as on Pat McAfee, SPN, all that, was bring TY home. He nearly went until, you know, Mr. Ursay jumps in and says, you ain't going nowhere. Give him his money. How, you know, how big is it to get a, a guy like T.Y. Hilton back into the locker room? And I, I, think it,
2: I think it really is big because over the past few years, especially T.Y. Hilton has really taken over that leadership role. In the wide receiver room, not only there, but but really in the team, and and with these young guys that we're expecting big things from, Michael Pickman Jr., we're expecting him to take that next step. Paris Campbell, we saw it in the in the game in Jacksonville, where where he started to look like a legit threat and a legit weapon for this team, yeah. and then unfortunately he gets that helmet right on his knee, and it just wipes out the rest of his year. He's there. People forget Zach Pascal is still only 25 years old. He's still a young guy. Desmond Patman, uh, Ashton Doolin, Michael Strawn—all of these guys are young wide receivers. But outside of T.Y. Hilton, the oldest is Zach Pascal, and like I said, he's 25, 26 years old. So the the leadership and and it's it it, it's the way of the Colts receiver. Marvin passed it to Reggie, passed it to T.Y., who's going to be passing it to Pittman and Campbell. Hopefully, and and this is this is kind of what it, it's going to be like. So, I, I think it's huge for the locker room now. I, I and I think T. I. Hilton is going to see more success with a quarterback that is like Carson Wentz, who likes to throw the deep ball. Who you can get T. Y. Hilton in those routes to succeed like that rather than a, a Jacoby Rissette or a Phillip Rivers who's looking for the check down. Carson Wentz, you're gonna have the you're gonna have more deep balls. We're gonna have a little bit more explosive offense this year. So I think I think he can he can really thrive off of that. But I think if anything, it's more of that locker room presence that T Y Hilton brings to the Colts that I think is is you really can't measure how valuable that will be.
0: Yeah, I think the the leadership role uh, like Andrew said, is the biggest thing. I think when, uh, Mr. Ursay jumps into a situation like this, which he does not do often. He does not meddle a lot. Um, that if you're the GM, Chris Ballard or not, I, that's one of those times you should listen because if he's making a statement, if he's, if he's throwing, you know, his opinion in the ring, it's probably a good one. Um, and I think it also is typically tied to that leadership thing. Um, like it is with TY, I think it's a locker room thing. And I think Ursay understands that to a really high degree, even though, I mean, he's a weird dude to talk to. You see interviews, I mean, like, he's a goofy guy, but anybody that talks to him loves him. Um, and I, I just think he's got a feel for the heartbeat of the locker room on a typical basis. Um, and I think that was probably the biggest reason he stepped in. And I think, and I agree that that's the biggest, most important reason to bring T.Y. back aside from now bringing back that deep ball threat.
2: It kind of just shows how important that is that Ursay did step in because he doesn't do that unless it's a, a franchise icon. He right. he does he lets Chris Ballard do his thing, but but this one he's like, what do we need to do to get Ty back? And and not only that, I think Ty just knows how valuable he is to the city and how how much the Colts fans love him. I mean, shout out to Heidi Raybrook, we had her on our show, uh, uh, I don't know about a month ago or so, mm-hmm. and and she kind of led the the the, the t- bring T.Y. home hashtag with her song to T.Y. that went viral. Um, and and T.Y. said on Pat McAfee's show that he saw all of those, and he when he saw just how much the fans loved him and won him back, that was that was something that he'll cherish forever. So, um, yeah, shout-out Heidi. <laughs> 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 yeah, oh,
1: fantastic. So, um, question for um, I'll watch a cult's loyalist your opinion, what is Wright's biggest task to help Carson? Um, for me, it's just, you know, it's all well and good showing him Quentin Nelson, uh, Braden Smith, Kelly, Eric Fisher, and saying you've got a good oil line now. For me, Wright's got to install that belief in Carson that he's going to be protected. What about you guys?
0: I think it's just instilling confidence in him in general. Uh <laughs> And, and like you said, the the, the fact that he's going to be well-protected is probably layer number one of that. Um, I think Carson Wentz's athleticism um, and his drive and his competitiveness, I think that's enough to overcome the small um, mechanical issues. I mean, it's not – which his mechanics have gone down. I mean, like it, last year was not – the same as every other year, and, you know, it was just a bad situation. I mean, his mechanics have, have fallen to a spot where they need some help, and that will happen throughout the season. But I think what's more important than that is just the confidence um, that he's the guy and that um, he doesn't really have anything to worry about behind him um, and that the Colts believe in, in him in general. And I think the team knew that right, right off the bat. I mean, you had everybody – like tweet and let's go, we're glad you're here, let's get to work. Um, So I think the team already played a big part of that, and Reich obviously is going to have to be a big part of rebuilding that confidence.
2: Yeah, what you mentioned there was key, is the locker room really embraced him right away. And and we've seen that already this offseason. We saw the video the Colts put out of them playing knockout at the end of of – one of their practices, him and Mo'Ali Cox, and even though Carson Wentz lost, you see T.Y. Hilton run over and jump on his shoulders. The the whole team has really embraced Carson Wentz. Uh, I, I I do I do think it's it's a lot of mental bring back his confidence, but it is also those mechanics that you mentioned, Brandon. The mechanics and really just starting from the ground up. Frank Reich this offseason, when when speaking about Carson Wentz, he pretty much gave his opinion about how he felt. About Carson, how Carson Wentz played in 2020, he said, "Humble pie doesn't taste good, but it's good for you." I mean, he he knows Carson Wentz was trash last year. Carson knows he didn't play well last year. So what do you, what do you do? You start from the ground up, you start with your base, you start with with making sure you have your lower body and your upper body doing the same motion. And when you start that, when you start building that foundation over again with those good mechanics, it's just going to continue to, to get better. You're going to see better results. And, and then as a result of your mechanics being better, you're going to build more confidence in yourself because you're playing better football. So I, th- I think that's that's also twofold. So if uh, Reich Reich is going to be instrumental and and Carson Wentz now has all the tools around him to succeed a play caller and, and head coach that he trusts, plenty of weapons, a, a solid offensive line, a budding star in Jonathan Taylor and a solid running game. It's now on Carson Wentz to make the best of it.
1: Before I move on to the next part, we'll be talking about the NFL draft, uh, especially the first round. This sort of all goes back to what Chris Ballard's believed in since day one, which is you bring, you know, you pull your weight, no matter if you're the kit man or the, you know, the caretaker, if you're the fans, if you're the players, he even holds himself accountable by saying we'll never have an early first round pick with him. You know, it's, throw your weight around, you know, bring that leadership to the team. Always ship up and get out of the locker room. He's got rid of a few, I won't say bad eggs, but just guys who were sort of being the grey man, being in the middle, not really doing anything. Um, but really, guys, you know, we, we suffered Ryan Grigson, who shall not be named in Indianapolis. Um, but we have to suffer that to get the Chris Ballards of the world.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. How, how it's not all about one guy too. When, when Chris Ballard took the job in 2017, they were all all the questions were about Andrew Luck and Chris Ballard said, look, it's, it's not going to be about just one guy. Yeah. Andrew Luck's a phenomenal talent. But we're not going to succeed if it's all on Andrew Luck's back. We need to be able to protect and get that offensive line, get the weapons, build a defense that, that's that's incredible around him. And that's what Chris Ballard's I I This is, in my opinion, this is one of the deepest teams and most talented teams that the Colts have had since the Peyton Manning days. When you think about it, there's there's. Three, we have three all-pro, four all-pros on this team. Four first-team all-pros. We have two second-team all-pros, and and we have a guy, a Carson Wentz that's coming in who who ha- we've seen play at an MVP level before. A budding star in Jonathan Taylor. We have. In- Fantastic young guys on the edge is that that could turn into stars as well? And, and when we're talking about the NFL draft here soon, so it's it's Chris Ballard has has really stuck to his guns. He's been very savvy. He's stuck to his morals. He when he has taken a risk like trading a first round pick for DeForest Buckner, it's it's played out well. So when he takes those calculated risks, more often than not, they they pan out well, and it's it's led to this solid team that's in Indianapolis right now.
0: I think Chris Ballard is one of the best, if not the best, GMs in the league. Um, Colin Coward agrees with me there. Andrew definitely agrees with me there. Um, and I think Jim Irsay definitely agrees. Um, he, when he hired Chris Ballard, he knew Chris Ballard had a plan and it was going to take some time, and it started with building culture in the locker room, like you said. You know, We don't necessarily say threw out any bad eggs, but... Um, but there are some definitely some guys that have gone that uh, needed to be gone. I think There's Anthony been an Walker
2: Eric Ebron here and there yeah. that, that needed to be tossed out. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um I think Anthony Walker's probably the first great team leader that he's let go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and but that building that culture allowed for things like the DeForest Buckner trade to work out, Phillip Rivers to work out. Oh excuse me, hopefully Carson Wentz to work out.
1: Yeah. Um you know, people forget about Chris Ballard's pedigree. So he was, for those who don't know, uh, I'm sure you guys do, he was at the Chiefs um, where he helped draft, you know, Travis Kelsey, Nicole Hardman, um, and even Tyreek Hill. I think he I had, had a hand. Uh Yeah, exactly. And I didn't know this when we got Chris Ballard. I only found this out this year uh, when I started doing this show. And I had to do my research. Um, but you know, then someone he goes and drafts someone like Darius Leonard, the the worst pick in the draft. You know, let's remember this all these experts call him the worst pick in the draft, and now he's top five linebackers uh, currently playing. We say we top say top five. three, so yeah, even top three, you know, depending on. What you look at, but I mean, for me, if I'm being completely, you know, like Mahoma isn't going to his top one, he's the, he's the best one. <laughs> and how I would judge that is he could walk into any other team in the NFL and get a starting spot.
2: Yep. I agree. Yeah, yeah and, and the thing is too uh... – I mean, when you talk about the the like when you said Anthony Walker walked, and it wasn't even on bad terms. Anthony Walker, he just it was time for for him to go somewhere else because Bobby Okariki has ascended. Bobby Okariki's a better player than than Anthony Walker at this time, and and Anthony Walker wanted to go somewhere where he can go get more playing time. He's gonna have that opportunity in Cleveland, um, but but you kind of hit it right on the head that the the opportunities that that Chris Ballard has taken they've 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 really worked out and 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 even he had that vision and Chris Ballard has before he got to the Colts Chris Ballard interviewed for different GM spots and and turned down offers because he wanted to make sure he did this his way. He wanted to make sure it was the right opportunity. And so he, with all those years in in Kansas City and then as a, as a scout for the Chicago Bears before that, because uh, Chris Ballard was there when the Bears had that great team in the mid-2000s when they went up against Indianapolis in the Super Bowl. Ballard was a, a scout for the Bears at that time. So so he's he's seen what championship teams, how they can be built. And, and he's been under coaches and and GMs that – that really have that winning culture. And so when he was looking for a team, it couldn't just be any team. It had to be the right situation and it had to be the right owner that would allow him to do things his own way. And Jim Ursay, Jim Ursay has been around football his entire life. I mean, he saw how Robert Ursay in his heyday destroyed, absolutely destroyed the Colts and turn them into the lacking stock, the laughing stock of the league. So he saw the mistakes that his dad did, and and he's realized that he's been around the game forever. You put p- very talented people in the right positions, and you let them build your team, and, and that's exactly what Jim Mersey has done. and And I think he's he should be commended on it for sure, because there's a lot of owners there that are very meddling, and and only a couple are su- successful. Jerry Jones is one of them, who's only is won a Super Bowl while meddling in, in plans. It normally doesn't work out. You let your, you you hire the right people. You ha- hire the people that are very talented and you let them do their job and you stay out of the way. Jim Roussey has been phenomenal at that.
1: He has. Um, okay. Bringing it forward. You know, the off season started to get exciting. The draft year could fill the build up. Um, the Colts had a first round pick. So I actually got to stay up for, the first night for once, you know, it was worth staying up for. Um, but no, going into this, the million dollar questioning, guys, were you offensive tackle? Were you cornerbacks? Was you what what were you guys looking for in this draft?
0: I'll go first. Andrew's more of a draft expert than I am, so I'll get my measly opinion out of the way. Um I wanted offensive line uh or or defensive end. Um corner I thought was probably second highest need on the list. Um but I knew there weren't out uh, there weren't any great corners, you know, starting corners probably dropping down to our, our spot in the draft. So I just kind of wrote that off um as a you know possibility. Um so I I was wanting offensive line i think that left tackle position is so so crucial i still you know at that point thought hey there's still a chance we could re-sign justin houston and maybe go after a younger guy next year um that was my goal but i also didn't think there was a chance in El pay fell all the way to 21 and here we are so um i was really excited i'm real excited about that pick second round I had some issues with, um, but Andrew, I don't know if, if we get into the second round here. He, he, uh, straighten straightened me out, I guess we could say.
2: So, so going into the draft, uh, I knew, I mean, obviously, when you're talking about a Chris Ballard team, they're going to go best player available no matter what. And and the only time that will be a need is if the best player available and, and need really, really match up. Now, when we did our pre, before the draft, we did our pre-draft episodes, we were breaking down some players and we broke down some edge rushers. We didn't break down Quiddy Pay because, quite frankly, we didn't. I didn't think he was gonna be there. I mm-hmm. thought that Quiddy Pay wasn't gonna make it outside of the top fifteen. And and then as as the draft started to go, uh, I you see Quiddy Pay start to to fall down the board. And Brandon and I on our live stream were talking about, you know, round round fifteen. Quiddy Pay's dropping, and I'm like, you know, Quiddy pay still there. Brandon yells at me to not say it, to not jinx it because yeah. he'll end up getting taken. But but as soon as as soon as the Giants didn't take Quiddy Pay at 20, and instead they took they took Tony out of Florida, immediately Brandon and I was like, well, we need to put the card in. We need to put the card in for Quiddy yeah. Pay. There was still a chance that the Colts could take Kristen Derisaw, because Darisaw was right there. Mm-hmm. But again, when you're you're Chris Ballard has said it over and over again. If you reach for a need, then that creates two holes on your roster because right. number one, you, you're, you can, your guy might not even be able to play that position and you'll be looking for his replacement in a couple years. And, and two, you missed out on the guy that, that could be that could be really good for your team. So, I was very happy with Quitty Pace selection. Glad that he fell the where he did and, and uh, j- again just another solid pick by Chris Ballard. He he hit it out of the park again.
0: I also talked about uh how left tackle position is obviously extremely important. Uh it's probably no. the most second most important position on your yeah. uh offense, but when you've got left guard, center, right guard, right tackle that are you know, still some of the best in the league and left guard, the best in the league, you can probably get away with an an average to above average left tackle, um, a little bit better with a guy with legs um, like Carson Wentz, whereas Phil Rivers, I mean, he had to be protected on all angles because he can move. I mean, like I've never seen a guy not be able to run like Phil Rivers. Um, So left tackle position with a more mobile quarterback probably slides down a bit in importance.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, I think it was like 3am here in the morning, um, and I see Quitty Pace starting to fall, and I just saw all of a sudden start pacing my living room, walking back, <laughs> it, it just can't happen, in a year where it seemed like in the draft, Chris Ballard couldn't work his magic because of the position he was in, I don't know what he did, but he worked his magic, and the Giants didn't pick Quitty Pay. He just like, didn't do anything. How, how did this guy do it? He there was no chance for you was getting him and he just you know, this absolute stud of a player um just sort of fell to us. It was I mean <laughs> I know I nearly wiped the whole street up, but um <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but um seriously like, Quitty is talented, we know how talented he is. Um but if briefly you want to go to what you're thinking about the rest of the draft, um, you know, I like Kyle so I think it was an excellent pick-up. Um, the Sam Erlinger one, I'm, I'm not really sure what that pick is. So, if you briefly, for, you want to go through what you thought the wrestler draft was for the Colts.
0: Same thing. I'll cut Andrew off and go first for this because, <laughs> um, again, not a draft expert. Um, I had questions about the second pick. Just going defensive end, defensive end, I just didn't understand it. Hearing stuff about uh, Odangbo now, I... Think once he's healthy, I could be a real big fan of. Um, loved Kylo, uh, the Kyler Granson pick, um, Kylan. Uh, I think he's going to be awesome. The strong pick, I it, it's kind of like the Desmond Patman pick to me. Uh, looks like a freak athlete, and I think could do some dangerous stuff. Sam Ellinger, that that surprised me that we took a quarterback as early. What was that third? Oh, no, that was a sixth round. Sixth round, okay. Yeah. I just didn't see us taking the quarterback with Jacob Beeson probably being backup, but I mean, you got to have other guys on the roster. So um, I would love to see him. I've heard people talk about the possibility of him being used as um, what's, what's his name from the saints? Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill. Thank you. As like a possible Taysom Hill role. That would be cool. I would enjoy seeing some creativity out of Frank Reich in that, in that, that position.
2: So I'll, I'll try to keep, keep this brief and if you watch the educated <laughs> fan you know how hard that is for me it's very um,
0: difficult he's very long-winded
2: <laughs> dio dio dangbo uh, a guy that a lot of people thought with before the injury was a first round pick and chris ballard said he would have taken him in the first and and what what really sells me on this pick is you know how how it's very hard to be on the colts draft board they they only have about 170 guys that they, they mark as draft eligible and that's including all the guys with medical history so if for the Colts to take this guy even after tearing his Achilles that 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 signals to me that they're comfortable with his medical and that they they're more than willing to take the chance because of the potential and the and the and the the value that this player they think will bring to the organization. So, and if you think about it, for hearing everything out of training camp, Diodangbo O'Dangbo is the same exact size as DeForest Buckner. You turn his tape on, and he's an absolute monster, and he's ferocious. So, if we can have eventually a quiddy pay at the right end, a. Dio Dangbo at left end and you have DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart in the middle. Good luck to opposing offensive lines. So uh, it's worth the risk. And and there were other teams that were going to take him in the second round, too. The Chiefs were interested. The Rams were. So the Colts weren't alone in that. Um, Kylan Granson, prototypical F tight end. He can definitely be a mismatch down the field. And Matt, so for my comp for him, is you imagine, Trey Burton, about the same size, but he's more athletic than Trey Burton. He he's got good hands, good route runner, good separation. I think Frank Reich's gonna have fun in that in that office. Sean Davis, the safety from Florida. Kid Kid can be reckless sometimes, but he, I think he he's very smart. You hear the Colts talking about him. he's He's got that maturity that like Akari Willis had coming out when the Colts picked him. He saw, almost sounds like he's been in the league for five years already. So, so that's good to hear, and it's going to be fun to kind of see him, see if he can make the field or what he can do on special teams. Um, the Sam Ellinger pick was, I mean, it was interesting. The reason they took him, Ballard said, and I just wrote this in my piece, uh, whatever it is, he has it. And so when you have a guy that, that's that's very competitive, football character off the charts, who's only the seventh two-time captain in Texas football history, you're going to take a chance on that guy. And he, he Brandon's right. He is athletic. He is very competitive. You could see Frank Reich having a little fun with him, like a small Jacoby Brissett package where he's used with his legs. But more um,
0: athletic than Jacoby Brissett. But
2: more athletic than Jacoby and then the last two Michael Strawn freak athlete I think he'll probably start on the practice squad but it's going to be fun to see how he how he develops and then let's not forget about Will Fries Will Fries is a guy that I think could be on this team for a very long time he's that kind he's kind of like a Danny Pinter in that he he can play multiple spots on the line play either guard position he can play some right tackle and and the guy is just a student of the game he's he's very technically sound and and when you watch his film he could have been like a third or fourth round pick. So I think the Colts got a steal there and I, and something that the Colts wanted to address this off season, building that depth on the offensive line, because we saw what happened when eight, when Costanzo and Braden Smith missed against Pittsburgh, terrible. So we want to get as many guys on that offensive line as possible. that can play good football. So a lot to be excited about from this draft class and, and we'll be able to judge them about three to four years down the line to see how many of them pan out. But I was, I was pretty happy with the Colts hall.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay. So moving on, then the draft happens. um, Colts fans are happy. Uh, Again, not many people stoked in general about the Colts. You know, we didn't get rated very highly on our draft grade. Uh, Whatever that means for me, that's a load of uh, old bollocks. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, and then again, Chris Ballard goes and gets a guy, Uh, picks up Eric Fisher. Um, We know what Eric Fisher can do. It's just a matter of uh, can he stay fit as he got the legs underneath him to do it. But if Eric Fisher plays like pro ball, Eric Fisher, this offensive line is Elite. the best in recent history, really.
2: Yeah, and I, I think for me... It kind of goes back to to what I said about Dio Dangbo is the Colts medical staff. They're just so crucial and they're so they're so hard and picky on the medical that once the Colts got him through the physical and liked where he was. I mean, that, that kind of sold it for me is that if they're comfortable enough with Eric Fisher, Chris Ballard knows Eric Fisher from his time in Kansas City, knows his work ethic. And I think he could be a really great addition to this team. Uh, Eric Fisher is is a guy that that when healthy, especially these last few years, has played at a Pro Bowl level, and that's not when you're next to the best left guard in the league and Quentin Nelson. So you put those two together, that's just going to elevate his play. Like the Colts are expecting Quentin Nelson to elevate Sam Tebby's play while Eric Fisher is, is still recovering. And, and the Colts didn't just do this as like a one-year stop game. If, if Eric Fisher can come back and play at a solid level, this is going to be, this is a guy that the Colts can resign and this could be their left tackle for the next four to five years or so. So it's not like we're going to have, Eric Fisher for 10 11 games out of the year and then see you later thanks for coming. If he plays well, this this could be our this could be our long-term or at least four to five year solution at left tackle. Yeah, Eric Fisher uh I th- I think
0: I with the way things worked out with Kamoko Tere and his injury, I definitely don't expect to see Ballard allowing the team to rush him back in. Uh, earlier than need be. I really think Ballard hopes he's back by what, October?
2: Um, I think he'll start on the pup list, but as of right now, all indications point to him being being all close to returning by October.
0: Sure. So um, I would expect that Chris Ballard really is hoping we're able to have a good run early in the season through an absolute gauntlet of a schedule um, and that Eric Fisher is going to be healthy enough to have – you know, a good impact on the late season and hopefully playoff run.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, now we move into the fun part of the show, I like to call it. Um, every new guest I have on, I always ask them the same few questions. Um, I'm not keeping score, so I don't worry. It's, it's not a test or anything. Um, but the first one I like to start with is the Oklahoma drill. You have Quentin Nelson on one side of the ball. You have Deforest Butner on the other side of the ball. Uh, who are you guys picking to win? Oh,
2: Quentin Nelson. Got gotta, gotta <laughs> go big Q every time. <laughs> Big U Big Q could probably get a little bit lower than, than Buckner just because Buckner's so big. I think I think you're gonna experience an earthquake within a five mile radius when those two guys collide. So you just better be prepared for do you, that.
0: Do you think they run into each other and just fall straight to the side? Neither one wins. <laughs> Perfectly even.
2: Uh, oh man. Saeed, Cheese, and Andre. Sorry. Uh I'm probably going to go big Q too, just because I think he can get a little bit lower than Buckner, but it's it's going to be a battle. It isn't like he's going to plow over Buckner. I think it's pretty much going to be like what Brandon said. They're just going to kind of
1: meet in the middle and just be like a standstill. But I think, I think big Q could maybe push him back just a little bit. Okay. Okay. The next question is, um, this is one of my favorite questions. You have the best possible roster the Colts could ever put together of all time. Okay. Uh, you're in the Super Bowl you're down by a touchdown or whatever. You're down by a field goal, let's say, but you need a touchdown to win it. Um, you've got one choice as the head coach. You've either got Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning to lead this team on a game-winning drive in the Super Bowl. Which quarterback do you take?
0: Go ahead, Andrew.
1: <laughs> man, that's <laughs> that's tough because, because
2: captain comeback is Andrew Luck, but yeah. man... So I, I can't go I can't go against the GOAT. I think Peyton Manning would be for me. I trust Peyton to be in that situation. And if it's the best Colts roster of all time, that means you've got Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, T.Y. Hilton, Dallas Clark, yep. Edrian James, all of your weapons
1: out there. The best, just the best, every, every weapon you could possibly. You know what? You it's paid it's gotta, down, right. it's gotta be Peyton Manning. It's gotta be Peyton Manning.
0: You know what? Just for competitive argument's sake, I'll say Andrew Luck, um, <laughs> because it's an impossible question, but Andrew just adds the additional, uh, legs aspect to it. So that's just one more weapon for that already loaded offense. Apparently, um, so, I mean, you can't you can't guard all those guys and and if you're trying Andrew Luck can run with the football and uh, Peyton Manning cannot very well.
1: <laughs> and my last question: um, We've got the probably the best matchup um, in week two with the Clash of the Titans going at it on defense. You have Aaron Donald, and on offense you have Quentin Nelson. I want to see these two match up. I hope you know the team just yeah. do you know what? This is a pay, you know, if this was just them two guys, you'd pay $90 pay per view to watch it. Um, You know, how excited are you guys for this matchup?
0: I'm really, really stoked. Um, I think that game will probably be for me the most I've ever watched line play and not paid attention to where the football is. I I don't think I'm going to be able to take my eyes off of Quentin Nelson and Aaron Donald. Um, Unfortunately for Quentin Nelson, Defensive linemen, they consider their day a win if they get through two, three times, um, even though the offensive lineman, you know, stops them however many other snaps throughout the game. So I think Aaron Donald's going to come away feeling like he won that one, but I think uh, whoever wins the game is who I would say got the better of the other
2: it's gonna be interesting it's uh, I think that there will be some times where Aaron Donald and Quentin Nelson will go up against each other but I think more often than not unfortunately uh, we're gonna see Aaron Donald switch over and try to go on Mark Lewinsky and Ryan Kelly is gonna to have to go over there to help with the double team but it's gonna be a sight to see I'm gonna be at that game I know there's gonna be a buzz because there's gonna be a lot of a lot of Colts fans there that are gonna to want to see that matchup and, and really see Big Q enforce as well and, and try to put on a show against the best, honestly, the best defender in the league. So um, it's, it's going to be a fun matchup, and, and I think that one's going to have a lot of eyes on it for sure.
1: Excellent. Well, gents, uh, again, I can't thank you enough for both coming on. It's been an excellent chat. That's all the questions I had for you guys. Do you guys have any questions for me?
0: What time uh, are the 1 o'clock games for you?
1: Um, what time, I guess, the one- do the Colts
0: generally play for you?
1: Um, so it's usually, they finish about midnight over here, usually, unless it's the late game, then it finishes probably about three o'clock in the morning. Um, the earlier games, uh, they like the afternoon kickoffs, dude. it starts about 6pm. Oh, that's not bad. Um, but yeah.
0: I'm in... It- I'm in the Pacific Time Zone now, so I'm kind of I'm hoping I stay this way for the start of football season because I would
1: love for games
0: to start at 10 a.m. and then I can go to bed by like 10. I think that'd be <laughs> wonderful. Um, no, I don't think I have any other questions. Uh, if you want to hear how long winded Andrew is, um, you should come watch our show, The Educated Fan. You guys can see the name streaming down there at the bottom. Um, we're going to restart this week, um, an off season little mini series called new kid at school where Andrew really just talks and talks and talks about all the new draft picks um and I sit and listen with a smile on so yeah you
2: should guys should give us a listen yeah I think I, I think I got one question for you so um at, well I got two I guess have you ever been to a to a Colts game like cuz I know the Colts played in London um, a few years ago against Jacksonville, were you able to go to that game or have you uh do you plan on coming
1: to the US to go to a, to a Colts game? Um, so the first part of that question, unfortunately, I was on deployment, so just typical luck. Um, I was out at sea when the Colts were at Wembley. Um thankfully it wasn't a great game. Uh so yeah. I don't what's the better thingy there. But um I do plan to get to the Lucas Oil. Uh, I have looked at it a couple of times. It's just at the minute for me, my my day job schedule uh, is working in education. So all the football games uh-huh. are in term time. Um, I am over in New York, hopefully, obviously COVID dependent in the summer. Hmm. Uh, so I was going to look at a rent in the car Driving down to Lucas, I'll get, you know, I'm a picture with the statue and all that jazz. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm dying to get over it. It's just a matter of when, really.
0: It's, mm. it's getting older now, but it's still one of the best stadiums in, in the league.
1: Yeah, I've seen some of it, actually. Uh, sorry, Andrew. I've seen some of it recently that it has been voted the best stadium by away fans for the past seven out of eight years.
2: Yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I love going, and and it's really a great experience. And then my final question, outside of like the Super Bowl victory or the two thousand six AFC Championship game, because those are those are easy. What is your favorite moment as a Colts
1: fan? I will answer that. We just got a comment from uh, Dustin think it's awesome there are Colt fans in the UK. So, that that means a lot of pal Thanks are subscribing. Yet, we're all over and, you know, I talk to Colts fans from all over the world, not just the UK, further into Europe, Australia and stuff like that. So it, it is a family that's growing. Uh, to your question, uh, my favourite moment as a Colts fan. Um, so my personal favourite moment that I, I see in life um, was... Sort of the catch 22. So I was watching the, the Texans games where it was down by 21 uh going into the third. I know what uh, into you're talking about. And it was like gotcha. 4 a.m. over here. And I was like, do you know what? I had a couple of drinks. I was like, I'm going to bed. This can't get any worse. I'm going to bed. <laughs> and then I wake up to see that we won the game. And I was just. It was a good moment, but it's sort of the one moment that sticks in my head where I was like, if I had just stayed up a second longer for <laughs> one more drive, then I might have stayed up again. But uh, the best moment's got to be 2006, and it? You know, just what a Super Bowl that was. It, mm-hmm. And then the iconic halftime show with Prince performing, Purple Rain. I just, I love watching that back every other game. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Awesome.
0: I uh, I remember that Texans game. Uh, that was years ago. Um, yeah. I was still in high school. I if we're thinking about the same one, it was Matt Schaub still, right? Yeah. With yeah. the Texans, I I yeah. at halftime, I went outside. I went out and played <laughs> like catch with my brother, jumping on the trampoline or something. I was like, I'm not coming back in. And my mom's like, guys, like the, we just scored. Like, we're ne-. I'm like, good. I'm staying out here. I'm super superstitious about that. So it's good you went to bed. Clearly, you and I were working together um, across the across the world.
1: So yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, guys, thanks for coming on. You know, we've been talking Colts football now for over an hour. Thanks for everyone for watching. Thanks for the new subscribe, uh Dustin. Uh, I've been UK Colts fans to my right has been the, uh, rather than you say, because I've, I, I all <laughs>
0: it's the educated fan. The reason for, I'm not going to get into the reason, just know a name change is coming soon. Uh, and we're going to address the, uh, let's just call it what it is. Not the best idea. Andrew and I have ever had,
2: <laughs> but yeah, you can, you can follow us at, at T H E E H D C A T E D F A N. That's our podcast. Mm-hmm. Brandon's, Brandon's Twitter ad is right there. The BM Moses nine. Um, you could get mine is at Andrew Moore SI. And then um, if you're looking for some Colts written content, um, check out horseshoe huddle on sports illustrated. You'll see my content. Uh, Andrews, Arthur, Andrew's
0: top story on horseshoe huddle right now. Sports uh,
2: illustrated intern writing top stories, Jake Arthur, Zach Hicks, uh, Josh Carney, we're all got stuff on there with me. So uh, check it
1: out. It's pretty cool. All right. Uh again, thanks. You've been watching UK Colts fans. Uh this has been another great episode. See you all later.